Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, producer Annabelle. <laughs> Hello, thanks for including me. Oh, it's like a ping ball machine <laughs> of just hellos then. Hello, all. Coming up on today's show, JLo and A Rod's heartbreak looks very different after announcing their split. Plus, Cody Simpson wants to boost the profile of swimming globally. <laughs> we have some questions about SAS's new lineup. And last but not least, how a prank about fairy bread expose the biases of Australia's largest media publications. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a pretty good week. I got negged yesterday (laughs) and I just need to talk about it with you guys and the listeners. Urban Dictionary, for those who don't know what negged means. I mean, I know what negged means. Annabelle, do you know what negged means? I do, but my mind went somewhere weird. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think? Pegged. (laughs) I didn't want to say it on mic, but yes, pegged. Um, I didn't get pegged. I did not get pegged this week. I did get negged, which is kind of like when you get fed a compliment that's actually really a criticism. So I walked into a cafe and this woman stopped me in my tracks and was like, what a gorgeous coat. And so I was filled with like, just like good vibes. They're like, thank you so much. And I went to go tell her where it's from because I'm a charitable human being. I'm like, Country Road, go get yourself one. And as I start saying it's from Country Road, she goes, it's not really coat weather though, is it? <laughs> it's my, when you came and told me, I was like, this is actually, I've got to say, one of my favourite insults of all time because my favourite insults are the ones where the people don't even know they're being dicks. Like I said to you, I feel like everyone now is probably recollecting all the times that they've had tiny necks. Yeah, well, the unique magic of this neck was great coat, but you clearly think it's a little bit greater than what it actually is because you're wearing it on a day that isn't appropriate. It was cold weather, I will add. 
I do get your point, though. We all have some classic negs across our lifetime. Annabelle Lee, do you have any <laughs> negs that come to mind? I'm just thinking of that time, Zara. You were like, oh, I love your top. Where'd you get it from? And then I said where it was from, and you're like, oh, so cheap. That was Michelle that, was that said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm picturing yeah, I was going to say, excuse me, because this is a famous story in the Shameless Office. Michelle replied saying, ooh, so cheap. <laughs> Hang on. Let me clarify because I think I need to be able to stand up for myself here. I asked you where your top was from because I loved it. You told me where and the brand was an affordable brand. So my excitement was, ooh, cheap, as in I could buy that and it's not like a $300 knit. But this is a perfect neck. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. I remember I was in a conversation with someone recently and they were asking me about me and Ollie cooking because Ollie really likes to cook. And they turned around to us and said, you guys really love your staple meals, don't you? And I was like, fuck you. We have a vast array of shit we cook. It's like just old shepherd's pie yeah, for Zara like, and Ollie at home. You guys love your staples, don't you? It's it like, really reveals all of our insecurities as well. Like, <laughs> I never cook, I swear. It's like we cook many different things. I mean, this will be great for your Say Friday on Instagram tomorrow, Michelle, because I want to hear people's negs. It's not even a backhanded compliment. It's far more subtle than that, I would say. Yeah, give us your negs and they need to be very specific and very niche. The more niche, the better, <laughs> I would actually say. I've got to admit, I do not have a recommendation for today. I feel like I've just been watching Drive to Survive every night and it hasn't left much room for me to engage with new content. I am going to request a sub in. We've never done this before. <laughs> I'm here. I'm sitting beside Annabelle Lee. Annabelle Lee, do you have a recommendation for the listeners? Yes, I do. Well, I'm always watching something apart from MasterChef at the moment, which is <gasps> back. And You're not watching great. it. I am watching it. Oh. Wait, that, sentence was, <laughs> that sentence was created very funkily. <laughs> so I have two recommendations. Let me put it that way. The first is MasterChef season two, which is back. Season two? No. There are many seasons. The fresh season the two. The fresh season two. Melissa Leong season two, which is all that matters. But I was always going to watch that. I did last night watch a movie on Netflix called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And oh. it's the movie that Viola Davis and the late Chadwick Boseman of were course. nominated for Oscars Ooh. for. Where is it on? Netflix. Amazing. So it's about the real blues singer Ma Rainey and her band that are recording a song called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's so a great rap. Yeah, the movie just like revolves around one day where they're recording the song. Like all these things go wrong. I'd honestly say Viola and Chadwick's performances were the best. I've seen in any film this year <gasps> that so, I've seen anyway. So Netflix. Netflix. Yes, get on it. That is a great wreck. I do want to watch that. Look, if you both are interested in my week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, Annabelle. Was sorry, Zara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm used to Annabelle throwing then. Um, Zara, how was your week? My week was not bad, actually. I don't even have that much to say, which is embarrassing now that I've requested to speak about my week. I have to say, two nights ago, I was trying to fiddle with the cords of my internet modem. and Wow, we're off to a shaky start. <laughs> and I fiddled with them. And Ollie was working very late. It was 11 p.m. And he goes, oh, the internet's just gone out. And I've gone, oh, shit. Wait, were you fiddling with them as in like I was you just wanted your hands to be busy and you were just playing with I was Well, I was trying to stay up with him because he was working so late and I was trying to move the modem to a different spot that was a bit more aesthetically pleasing and I broke the internet and so he was like it's too late we'll sort it out tomorrow he hotspotted for the rest of the night last night I got home from work and I was like I'm gonna fix this I was on that stupid little app with my provider (laughs) talking to someone they finished their shift so they just abruptly ended the conversation another person started they stopped replying it got three hours of time where I was doing this and I started crying obviously yes you know when you hit your capacity Uh I started crying and then I stared once more at the modem 
and I pushed a button and it was the Wi-Fi button that was just off the entire time. I had pushed myself to the level of crying and demanding someone be sent out to my home only to realise that the modem was off. Can I say this is a moment of personal growth for you? The Zara of weeks beforehand, I think, would have just thrown in the towel and got a whole new internet provider because you're like, I can't be bothered. I'm moving to Optus. But truly, and the most embarrassing thing was a couple of hours before, Ollie was trying to help me and he was like, oh, I might just push this. And I was like, don't touch anything. I'm going to break it all. Had he pushed that button, the internet would have been working. Anyway, <laughs> terribly shaky start to the episode with a story as bad as that one. I do have a recommendation that may well be as shaky as my story. Will it save you or will it plummet you deeper? This could be one of the recommendations. It could be one of the great recommendations of the show or it could be one of the most terrible. Okay. Are we ready? I don't know if I'll ever be ready for this. So... I'm a pretty indecisive person when it comes to stuff outside of work, like where to eat dinner or what to do with my weekend. And so what we've decided at home is to implement a system called the 521 decision-making system. Have you guys ever used this? You guys no. sound really fun. <laughs> Have you ever used this? Uh-uh. Okay. So you know when you're like thinking about what to do for dinner and you're really tired and you're like on Uber Eats and if you've got a partner or you're trying to decide with a roommate, you have no idea what to decide or to work out what the other person's thinking. Okay. So the 521 system is one person. So let's say Annabelle, you and I are doing this. You suggest your top five options. That's I, a lot of options. I whittle it down to two and then you pick the last one. Oh, that's good. Because this is a problem that I have. Right? It's good. But as far as something like deciding what to have for dinner tonight goes, I can rarely think of five options. Often it's good for going out for dinner on Uber Eats. So it's very specific. <laughs> also movies sometimes. Okay. That puts a lot of pressure on the person who has to whittle it down to two, though. You have to eliminate three. See, I think the pressure is more on the person who has to pick five. Okay, a lot of you are experiencing a lot of pressure a lot of the time. (laughs) It is meant to make it easier. The pressure to pick one out of nowhere is far more pressurised. Before we accept this as your formal recommendation of the week, can you give us one example of when this worked? Works all the time when we're on Uber Eats. Okay. All the time. Anyway, um, if we want to move along, I have a feeling the listeners might like that recommendation. But anyway, let's get into the first segment of the show, Michelle, because J-Lo and A-Rod have officially broken up. And what we want to talk about is how their heartbreak or their responses to heartbreak look very different. Very, very different. Before we get into the responses to their heartbreak, a bit of a refresher on the relationship between A-Rod and J-Lo. If you're a longtime listener of Shameless, you would know this already because we've covered it on a few episodes this year. If you're new, let me walk you through it. So these two started dating in 2017. They got engaged in 2019. J-Lo is J-Lo. A-Rod is a very famous baseball player who has a pretty checkered history with doping in his sport and pretty checkered history with cheating on former partners as well. Their lavish wedding ceremony, which was due to take place in Italy last year, was of course cancelled due to covid A-Rod was accused of cheating on J-Lo in February after he FaceTimed regularly a reality TV star by the name of Madison LaCroix. Correct. And then after that, the news broke that they had broken up. They came back a couple of days later and said, actually, we're not breaking up. We're just working on some things. And now they're officially broken up. Yeah. So here we are. They have officially broken up and we have a statement to prove it. They did issue this to the Today Show in the US and wrote, we have realised we are better as friends and look forward 
forward to remaining so. We will continue to work together and support each other on our shared businesses and projects. We wish the best for each other and one another's children. Out of respect for them, the only other comment we have to say is thank you to everyone who has sent kind words and support. Ah, uh, the old better as friends. Better than we love each other more than ever. Far <laughs> better than that. Anyway, this news was broken initially because J-Lo posted a photo on Instagram. I think it was a selfie while she was filming her upcoming movie shotgun wedding and her engagement ring was noticeably missing. Very large engagement ring. You really can't miss it. <laughs> you can't. And so soon after, a joint statement from J-Lo and A-Rod officially confirmed their split. I have to say... This has been one of the best breakups in recent history, and I say best in sort of inverted commas because the coverage around it has been mind-numbingly stupid. Mm. And those two, in particular A-Rod, have been (laughs) very public about this all. What I love about this so much is that A-Rod is the man who potentially cheated on one of the hottest women alive. He's the one who fucked up, who has done J-Lo wrong. We have J-Lo on her Instagram account looking Flawless and amazing and incredible, like the most beautiful she's ever looked. And then over on A-Rod's Instagram account, we have a series of very sad panning around the room, slow motion story shots where he's filming a photo mural of him and J-Lo and in the background... We have Coldplay playing. (laughs) And you all know the Coldplay sound. It's literally the line. Was it the lights will guide you home bit and ignite your bones? Yeah, that one. I think it's on a really sad... Fix you. Yes, that, it's, it's on the saddest scene in the OC ever and that's why that song is so sad. <laughs> when Marissa was dead, right? No, that's Hallelujah. No, 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 no. It was when the grandpa died. Oh, that's not the saddest scene <laughs> in the OC. It's pretty sad. Anyway, sorry for the spoiler alert. So, yes, he's got this bloody mural up and there were some hilarious lines in the news about this being like we weren't sure if he was like eulogising their relationship or trying to get her back. <laughs> Both were probably true. And I find it interesting that... Everyone's reporting on his activity since the breakup and obviously her activity online since the breakup. And Elle magazine reported on her first Instagram post after it was announced. And their line was, Lopez appeared in a white top and matching denim, channeling bridal vibes on the set of her movie Shotgun Wedding. She's laughing in the pic, suggesting that all the breakup commentary doesn't face her. <laughs> like, why do we do this? Why do we put, I love why do we put words into her head or thoughts into her head? Why do we Yes. Suggesting. I love that this reporter thinks in J-Lo's mind, she thinks, now I will smile and that will communicate that I am unfazed by the tabloid media coverage. Reminds me of like language analysis in Year 12. Did you guys do yes. that with yeah. English? The coverage around this breakup reminds me of that. There was also another like flurry of articles because Jennifer Lopez liked an Instagram post this week that was a quote from the author R.H. Sin. The quote read, Don't make her think you care when you have never given a fuck about her. And the caption said, don't let them manipulate you. How many times have you been told I love you by someone who has continued to treat you like shit? And she liked it. And she liked it. So now everyone's like, J-Lo likes revealing posts about A-Rod in the wake of their breakup. Do we give ourselves permission to read into that? Yes, that, not the white top. (laughs) (laughs) The smile, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch. But when you're liking something and you know... 
that people are going to see your Instagram activity. I think this was pointed. I think it was definitely pointed. I mean, for example, if either of you who are in happy relationships start liking (laughs) quotes like that on Instagram, I'm going to get a bit worried. Or if I was your partner, I'd be offended. It's like when you read those birthday tributes to people's partners and one of the first lines is like, we've had our ups and downs. (laughs) My first thought is, you guys are going through some tough shit. (laughs) It is such a, it's a neg, but a more obvious (laughs) neg, right? A far more. Obvious, Nick. Yeah, fuck that. If a birthday tribute to me, imagine if you, Michelle, wrote a birthday tribute to me. We've had our ups and downs, but I love you so. I mean, the other articles around this breakup that have made me laugh are ones like this, and this is a true headline. Alex Rodriguez jealous of Ben Affleck after he complimented Jennifer Lopez. Rumour. <laughs> like, obviously. Brackets rumour. <laughs> but obviously everyone's going to be jealous of that profile. We did touch on that. Was that last week's episode? I think it was the week before last and that was the in-style profile of Jennifer Lopez celebrating 30 years in the industry where they spoke to her exes but not her current flame, dare we say, which I think surely is a red herring anyway yeah. when we're considering how rocky their relationship was. I mean, I feel like in the last few years I haven't seen a breakup of two adults and they are adults. Jennifer Lopez is like 51, A-Rod is 45. Like we're not talking about young people who aren't used to the spotlight. They know the media and they're more than happy to play this out in real time. I think, and God bless her because I adore J-Lo, I think she does love a bit of a drama moment in the media. Like she posted that TikTok where she quickly flashed up headlines about her and A-Rod splitting and then she said like fake or said like (laughs) bullshit. or something to that effect. Like I think if you're the kind of person who doesn't revel in the drama, you're not posting that kind of stuff. And I think for her to be posing very obviously without her engagement ring, her hands were basically front and centre of some of those photos on Instagram. She probably does like the attention. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying it's probably just part and parcel of who she is and how she's lived her life in the media for 20 years, if you look back at her history with romantic relationships in particular. I just had a thought. Is there any way that this is incredibly helpful? for Shotgun Wedding. I mean, we know that film Shotgun Wedding was in a bit of dire straits because they had initially signed Army Hammer. There was, of course, all that strange Army Hammer stuff to come out and he was dropped. I have not seen a movie in the midst of filming being referenced in so many celebrity articles in a long time. This is such a Zara McDonald angle that this is all for PR <laughs> in the long run. No, I don't think it no no no. I don't think it's all for PR. I just think it's very helpful to the movie that it keeps being raised. It's interesting that you say that because I would have forgotten the name of the movie if I hadn't heard you say it three times in the podcast. <laughs> Are you working for that movie? <laughs> <laughs> Coming up after the break, Cody Simpson wants you to know about this new thing called swimming and how a fake petition about fairy bread catapulted our country's media into disarray. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara Neg McDonald, what have you got for me? I have quite a few stories for you today. Five, in fact, my (laughs) first story. Olivia Rodrigo is making chart-topping history once again. 
That is from Teen Vogue. If that name, Olivia Rodrigo, sounds familiar but you can't quite work out how, you may remember a little song by the name of Driver's Licence going absolutely gangbusters. Gangbusters. Ooh, gang- Bananas. Bonkers. <laughs> what did I used to say? Smash hit. That's smash, smash hit. <laughs> Driver's Licence was one of the most streamed songs on Spotify. Yeah, so it broke practically every record under the sun, Driver's Licence did in January. According to Billboard, though, Olivia's latest single, Deja Vu, means that she is making history yet again. Deja Vu, have either of you listened to it yeah. before I move oh, on? It's it's really bad. I'm so late on these song trends. Oh, I thought oh. you said the song was really bad and I was no. like, Annabelle Lee, it is the <laughs> furthest thing from really bad. I almost like it as much as I like Driver's Licence. I prefer it, but that's probably because Driver's Licence has been overplayed so much on the radio to the point where I honestly couldn't hear another word of it anymore. It's a song, again, that's going off on TikTok. Yeah, there's been like a an effect transition thing that has been matched up to the song, which makes it this viral moment for Olivia. She's clearly on the money as far as marketing goes. Not surprising then, given you and I love it, Zara, that this did debut at number four on the Billboard streaming charts, making Olivia, a 17-year-old, the first artist in streaming history to have their very first two singles debut within the top five. This is ridiculous, Mish. It also landed at the eighth spot on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, which are a different set of charts to the streaming charts, but that has made her the first artist in history again to debut their first two official singles with the highly coveted top 10 list. Like she is finding incredible success and she's only 18, born in 2003, which freaks me out a bit. It makes me feel <laughs> a little bit ill, but I love this. I always love trying to figure out who's going to be the next major pop star, like who's the next Beyonce or the next Taylor Swift or the next Rihanna. And by all accounts, Olivia Rodrigo is destined for that level of fame and that level of star power in the music industry, right? Yeah, I would love to know more about the making of a pop star because mm. I would love to know about how many years are put in almost as an, it sounds fucked, but almost as an investment working out what the brand of a pop star is going to be, what kind of music they're going to sing, who they're going to be marketed to because they are a brand and they have to have like their niche and they have to be filling a gap in the market. And I would love to know how long they've had their hopes pegged on Olivia because as much as I think they would love to tell this whole, oops, I woke up and now I'm a star. I just feel like this is years and years in the making. Yeah, it's many manufactured but they've manufactured it to perfection to their credit and the brand of Olivia is clearly resonating with not just women our age in their mid to late 20s but also women who are teenagers as well. This might feel irrelevant but I don't actually think it is. I checked Olivia Rodrigo's engagement on Social Blade for her Instagram account. She's got, it was like in the millions, I think it's like 8 million followers, 7 million followers, yet her photos get 2.5 to 3 million likes on average. She has the highest engagement rate of any person on Instagram I have ever come across. She gets two and a half million likes of eight million followers. Yes, which is insane. If you guys aren't familiar with the industry, good engagement rate is regarded between three and five percent. That's like, oh, don't do this to me, like nearly 30 percent. Some of them it's almost 50. She's hit 3.5 and I think she's got about seven million followers. No, I think that's an incredibly relevant stat. I would also really like to know if younger people on Instagram do tend to engage more or less, like if Mm. older people don't engage more and therefore older pop stars don't have that kind of level of engagement for that kind of reason. Yeah, well, we've even spoken about stands on this podcast before. I feel like musicians are far more likely to have stands who adore yeah. and like and engage with every single thing their favourite musician posts, whereas like a model or an influencer might not have that level of attachment from their fans. We will have to watch this space because Olivia's debut album, Sour, 
will make its way into the world on May 21. So watch this space. Great timing indeed. My second story, controversy. A beauty queen, (laughs) tennis star, notorious bra boy and gold medalist join SAS Australia as all 18 of the 2021 recruits are confirmed. That is from the Daily Mail. Network 7 has confirmed that 18 celebrities are set to star on the second season of SAS Australia. The full lineup includes people like NRL player Sam Burgess, who we will talk about in a second, socialite Bryn Edelston, celebrity chef Manu Fidel. Who He's doing the rounds on reality TV I love at the moment. Him so much. I know, but he shouldn't have got through on Dancing with the Stars. Don't, last night. don't start me. Manu getting through on Dancing with the Stars instead of Renee Barge. Fills me with white hot rage. One of the great travesties of reality TV in 2021. <laughs> Tennis star Alicia Mollick, Home and Away's Dan Ewing, actress Bonnie Anderson, former politician Emma Hassar, which is interesting, Olympian Yana Pittman, and Australian sprinter Jessica Paris. Dare I say, on star power alone, they've done a pretty good job. Like a lot of those names are very recognisable. They've also got people from all walks of life, Bryn Edelston, all the way to Emma Hassar. So they've done their job on that level. What I want to hone in on is the decision to cast Sam Burgess in this show, given the headlines we have seen about Sam Burgess in 2021 alone. It's really interesting because shows like SAS Australia and I guess maybe to a certain extent, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, serve a very specific purpose for men who have been troubled and men who have had not a great time in the public eye. And it is very much to serve their redemption story through a narrative that the Australian public adore. I mean, particularly on SAS Australia, it's like prove how macho you are and how tough you are, and then we'll kind of give you our respect back. But given the headlines with Sam Burgess have been very troubling, accusations from his former partner of abuse. Mm. Also very recently, he was hit with a drug driving charge. So it's really tough for me to consider what could potentially happen if the Australian public do adore seeing someone as physically tough as Sam Burgess doing well in a show like this. Yeah, well, I mean, for a military-style competition that really puts people to the absolute test, I feel like SAS Australia, the subtext is... What are your favourite celebrities made of? Are they made of the stuff where they will just keep going and going and put themselves on the line? And we really make those kinds of people heroes in our culture. So I agree with you. I don't know why Sam Burgess was cast for this show. We did reach out to Screen Time Australia. That's the production company behind SAS Australia to ask about why they chose to go ahead with Sam Burgess and they didn't get back to us by the time of recording. But I would really love to sit down with the producers behind this show and understand why they think this man is deserving of the spotlight at this point in time. I mean, we know exactly why they think it's good and it will be pretty good for ratings and we know exactly why he will want to be on it because it could be very good for his redemption story. I think it's a far bigger picture conversation that needs to happen about what our responsibility is when it comes to men who have been accused of certain things and putting them back on screens when there really has been no resolution. I think as well the climate right now, we're hearing so much about sexual assault. We're having a really important national conversation about violence against women. Is this the person we want to platform? In my opinion, no. In their opinion, clearly yes. My third story. Cody Simpson's girlfriend on hand to witness the pop star's big splash. That is from news.com. Cody Simpson is actually pursuing this thing with swimming. He absolutely is. And you know what? He's actually not doing too badly. I 
you know, did my due diligence and tried to read as many sporting articles about Cody Simpson swimming this week. And the general consensus from journalists is that this is very impressive so far. Really? Very impressive. So last weekend he swam in the Australian Swimming Championships, but he got out of quarantine the night before. So he had been in quarantine for two weeks, got out the night before and swam. So he's clearly not going to be in his best shape. So he has earmarked the 100-metre butterfly as the race that he wants to pursue for the Olympics. But at the Australian Swimming Championships, he swam in the 50, even though that's a non-Olympic event. He qualified for the final, which is apparently incredibly impressive. He did place ninth of 10 swimmers, but given it's a 50-metre sprint, like it's pretty short amount of time in the pool. Yeah. So it's hard to separate the top from the bottom. But, yeah, like I said, many commentators are saying it's a pretty impressive effort, A, because, yes, he was in quarantine, but, B, he did only pick up the sport nine months ago. I mean... And I hate to admit this because it was the most hubristic caption we've ever read in our lives in December last year when he came out and said he was going to pursue this and he was born to swim, but he kind of is born to swim. Well, he was very good as a kid. I think that's (laughs) the annoying part. He was clearly very, very good at this. And I know we're talking about that caption that he wrote back when he announced his swimming and he had quotes like, it is my greatest ambition to expand the limit and perceived notion of what's possible for someone to achieve in a single lifetime. And I'm here to tell you, you can do absolutely anything if you're willing to work for it. So we are talking in the backdrop of that sentiment. But he has been quite humble about being around other star swimmers. Like he said that he's been pretty starstruck about seeing some of these swimmers who he's followed for years. He was obviously interviewed after the race by a bunch of the media who were saying, it's obvious that you're gaining a lot of attention by being here. And he said, yeah, I am gaining a bit of attention because people who may not have been interested in swimming, but were interested in my music may now be coming across. But my favorite line from the interview was this. I knew there would be a certain amount of people that otherwise wouldn't have watched the sport that may do now because they have followed me in other endeavours and stuff like that. It's my favourite sport and deserves more global recognition. (laughs) I just love the treatment of swimming as this niche, relatively unknown sport when I would argue swimming is up there with the most popular sports in the entire world. It deserves more global recognition. I mean, we're talking about the Australian Swimming Championships (laughs) where you're surrounded by media doing a press conference to qualify for the Olympics. Not enough people are talking about swimming. (laughs) No, I can so imagine it was probably just like a nervous answer where he was like, yeah, people are watching me and the more people watch me, the better. But I just thought it was very funny. I love that so much and I love Cody Simpson. Me too. My fourth story, tennis star Pat Rafter and TV host Carissa Walford join locals at protest to stop new Netflix reality show about Byron Bay influences. But are they even from the coastal town? That is from the Daily Mail. Dun, dun, dun. Answer the question, are they from the coastal town? Well, they town? do live there, but they haven't grown up there. Oh, well, are we really going to die on that hill? Like well, if they live there, they live there. Let's expand, shall oh, we? Let's go God. into it. So as you guys will have remembered, as we spoke about last week, a handful of Byron Bay locals are pretty infuriated that a new television show called Byron Bay's... Great name. Great name, (laughs) Anna. Terrible name, but yes. (laughs) ...is going to be filmed in the town. So a handful of Byron Bay locals staged a paddle-out protest, which is the most Byron Bay thing ever, which is literally them paddling out on surfboards. They kind of created a circle with a line through it which is some symbolism I don't quite understand, but I'm sure I should. Oh, like, no. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, actually, like, no. So former tennis star Pat Rafter and TV presenter Carissa Walford were among the protesters. 
And the Daily Mail are making the point that they weren't born in the Bay. Carissa hails from Sydney. Pat was born in Mount Isa. I think the point that the Daily Mail was making, and they were a bit snarky about it, but I don't think it's a terrible point. Many of the conversations about this Byron Bay show are talking about how it's really commodifying the town that is Byron Bay and that many celebrities and influencers are moving here, buying up property. Locals can't afford to rent, let alone buy. Oh, so it's rich for Pat Rafter and Carissa Wolford to take aim at that when they are contributing to that themselves by living in Byron Bay. A little bit, yes. And it's like I understand that and I think the argument that these protesters are pushing for is it's kind of trashing the reputation of Byron Bay. But I think that the conversation about Byron Bay is far more complex than just this is muddying the reputation of Byron Bay. I think the conversation is also about commodifying the town that it is. But the ABC did run an article with an associate professor called David Waller, who is head of the UTS marketing faculty. And he told the ABC that these protesters are only giving the show free publicity and that this is going to be very much working in the favour of Byron Bay's. So I got to say, I am a tiny bit confused by the outrage. I know, as we said, we delved a lot into the concerns of the Byron Bay locals last week, but is there not room here to be a bit self-deprecating if you're from Byron Bay and be like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, yes, this is part of Byron Bay. We may not love this part of Byron Bay, but like, it's all pretty funny. I adore you. But out of everyone who is self-deprecating in the world, alternative hipsters are not <laughs> self-deprecating. The but basic bitches of the world, totally self-deprecating. Alternative hipsters who define their entire identity by being alternative and being counterculture rarely take the piss out of themselves. But these people aren't alternative hipsters. All the people that used <laughs> to live in Byron Bay. Oh, my God, what a mess this show is. <laughs> I've got to say this could make for a much better show, though, if they acknowledge part of the controversy. controversy. I don't know if they will. I doubt they will. But if they do, it could make for a very rich watching experience. From one Byron Bay story to another, Zac Efron and Australian girlfriend Vanessa Valadares have split. That is from the Daily Telegraph. Poor hot normie. Oh, God. I have to say, before we jump properly into this story, is there was a report a few months ago that they had broken up, but that was a bit of a (laughs) non-report. This is a bit of a, like a yes report. I mean, there have also been reports that they're pregnant and engaged, so... But I do think they've broken up. I mean, we know that because, A, it was the Daily Telegraph that broke this news, and that is a little bit more legitimate than a few other of the news sources that have tried to. (laughs) But also, Kyle Sanderland said on his radio show today, yes, they've broken up, I gave him a call, which is like the biggest humble brag ever. Kyle Sanderland does love like a Hollywood humble brag though. He is friends with Zac Efron apparently guys and then a close source to Zac spoke to the Daily Mail and confirmed that yes they have split up but this is where things get interesting. We know for sure that Zac and Hot Normie are no more. Like we can all rest assured that that is the truth. They have split. What I don't understand is the rumour that the Daily Mail is running with. It's almost like the Daily Mail was like, fuck, everyone else has got this scoop before us. We need a fresh, hot twist on this already tired story. But when have they ever had a fresh, hot (laughs) twist? They usually just make shit up. So apparently, if you read the Daily Mail, the reason that Hot Normie and Zac Efron have split up is because Hot Normie is pegged to go on Byron Bay's. I don't believe this for a second. No. And I am the oracle. (laughs) I'm good at predicting the future. No, I just simply can't imagine 
her doing that. But what's weird about this report actually, Mish, is the story said that they broke up because Zach doesn't usually read news about himself or his girlfriends or his family, but he read this and he read a report that she was going on the show and he got mad about that. And so it was like he had believed the report rather than having a conversation with her about it. Like the Daily Mail article was just flawed in its entirety. The Daily Mail is acting like celebrities are such unusual alien creatures that they don't actually speak to their partner. They just read the tabloids and treat that as fact. That's what's so weird about it. I mean, I don't think she's on Byron Bay's. It is clear that they're over. But they were only together for 10 months, Mish, which it feels like it's been far longer than that. It feels like they have been the fixture of Shameless Podcast for the three years that we've been doing it. So I am a little bit devastated on behalf of Vanessa Valadares. Kyle Sanderlands did explain why the pair split, and I find this far more compelling than right. Vanessa's <laughs> going on Byron Bay's. Kyle Sanderlands said, it's true, they're splitting up. It's only recent, but not like yesterday recent, but they've gone their separate ways. They spent a lot of time with each other when he wasn't working, lunching and living in the mansions on the beach. It's a fabulous life. And then work comes back and kicks you straight back into reality. So it's a shame. Is that a neg? Very interesting. <laughs> Is that a neg? Is that a neg towards Vanessa That's what I was going to say. It's like, oh, she loved the mansions on the beach and him not working and she loved the lunching. But when he went back to work, it didn't work. Kyle, she worked at a cafe. I'm pretty sure she's like used to the normal (laughs) nine to five lifestyle. (laughs) She understands reality probably more than Zac Efron. I mean, we know they're not together. It remains to be seen whether she'll be on Byron Bay's. But for now, Mish, I think that's all I've got for you. I'm so sad. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. Did you hear the one where Fairy Bread was officially cancelled? You might have, but it wasn't actually true. You see, this week, the Chaser interns launched a fake petition online calling for Fairy Bread to be cancelled. It was picked up by news outlets like News.com, Daily Mail, Lad Bible and even the ABC. So what was the Chaser's point in making a fake petition like this? Well, they wanted to prove how little fact-checking goes into the reporting of stories in a rush to create outrage. They wanted to prove that those stories that push the agenda, that political correctness has gone too far aren't really that real. So how successful was it? Mish, there are actually a few more layers to this story Mm. than meets the eye, but let's start with the chaser first. We have quite a few international listeners. So who the hell are they for people who don't know? They are like the little rat bags of the Australian (laughs) media and we love them. They are such little rat bags. They also like terrify me a little bit because I would so be duped by the chaser. (laughs) They're incredibly intelligent little rat bags. So their website, which is quite funny, I encourage all of you to go pay it a visit, explains that The Chaser is a satirical media empire which rivals Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation in all fields except for power, influence, popularity and profitability. (laughs) They are best known for their wildly popular ABC TV series, including CNNNN and The War on Everything, and their much less popular ABC TV series, including Election Desk and The Chaser Burns Down a Children's Hospital. (laughs) What is that true? No, they're taking the fucking This is the thing that terrifies me about the chaser. I'm just like, I would just sit there and be like, I don't know what is true. It's like, oh, I missed the one where they burned out a children's hospital. I didn't know if it was a joke about something. Anyway, (laughs) they have found themselves in countless lawsuits. They continually get into trouble and yet it all seems to be worth it because they give us all a laugh. Yeah, they do. And they still continue to be working somehow. I don't know who's funding this, but someone (laughs) is. So this week, the chaser interns. So I turned to Michelle when we were prepping for this segment and I said, can you please clarify what the Chaser interns are? 
negative. I can't clarify because, again, their entire website is a piss take and they've <laughs> listed random boomers as their interns slash CEOs and CFOs. So I'm like, I don't know and I can't help. I just imagine that the Chaser interns are just three little baby chasers. Let's <laughs> yeah. call them the baby chasers. So Lockie, Gabby and Kaz from the Chaser intern team did decide to check, as we said, just how little fact-checking goes on in the rush to stir up public outrage mm. towards issues that don't even exist, Mish. So what they did was invent a middle-aged woman and give her a Twitter account. That woman was named Alexis Chase, who was self-described as a human rights campaigner who moonlighted in salesmanship at a lounge company. <laughs> now, Alexis Chase happens to be the name of a couch that you can actually buy on lounge lovers. <laughs> Just it's beautiful stuff. But they gave Alexis like a profile picture. They tweeted out a couple of things. They really didn't go to much effort to make this Twitter account look legit. At all. They basically were like, chuck it up there and see what happens. Now, Alexis apparently had a lifelong grudge against fairy bread and wanted to do something about it. Exactly. So Alexis Chase, the couch, started a petition saying that the name of fairy bread needed to be changed because the word fairy was apparently outdated and offensive and has been used to belittle and oppress others. So Alexis Chase said that she'd been fed up too long and that using the word in Australia is reprehensible. They went on to write, bigotry is un-Australian and so is fairy bread. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this was something, and I'll quote intern Kaz here, Something so obviously fake it would only take a few seconds of research for any half-decent journalist to disprove. Before we get on to the people who failed to actually fact-check this and were fooled by it, one media personality in Australia did stand up and prove that he has some sort of journalistic integrity, and that was Ben Fordham. Yes, 2GB's Ben Fordham. So when this petition was created, the interesting thing about this as well is that many of the comments on the petition were, the chaser brought me here, or this is clearly the chaser. So when it found its way to 2GB's Ben Fordham, he immediately was like, this isn't real. So he contacted Alexis Chase, asked for Alexis Chase's phone number. The chaser just put someone that they know on the phone, on radio, on national radio about this petition, where Ben Fordham goes, are the Chaser Boys with you? And so the whole thing was sort of blown out. This wasn't just a radio segment though. 2GB also published an article about this. So it was very easy to find that this had been debunked by 2GB. And the Chaser thought that everything was going to fall apart because this was day one of trying (laughs) to convince people of the fake fairy bread petition. So they kind of put their hands up and were like, well, nothing's going to be done about this. Ben Fordham was on to us. The whole plan is kind of foiled and ruined. Then... Then, Then, dear friends, news.com.au came to the party (laughs) in the way that they only know how and they published the petition as if it was totally legit. Yeah, and I think my favourite part about this is when the Daily Mail (laughs) wrote about the petition, they somehow just added a random detail that Alexis (laughs) Chase was from Melbourne. (laughs) Which they Yeah, like even though that detail is absolutely nowhere. I mean, (laughs) it is funny. It's also a bit terrifying, but not perhaps surprising that news outlets were very happy to run a story like this that was going to stir up outrage. I mean, Kaz, one of the chaser babies, spoke to Junkie and said the team's main goal with the prank was to make people realise that these confected outrages about stories that sound so ridiculous they can't be true are just that. I mean, they cited, I think last year there was a story about Mr Potato Head's name being changed Mm. and it's like that literally never happened. Like a small detail in the box changed but we're not changing the name of Mr Potato Head and so what they wanted to do clearly was inform people that when you see these stories they aren't exactly what you think they are. Yeah, and it's such an interesting one because... 
There is such a moral and social panic when it comes to PC gone mad, when it comes to like lefty snowflakes wanting to change everything and fix things that aren't broken. And I think this is a great example of that and a great example of how media outlets will jump on any shred of proof that they can get that PC has in fact gone mad and the world is going to be ruined by people who are perennially outraged. I think the saddest part about this for me is we know that the journalists themselves know this shit isn't true. Like they know when they're writing these stories how reductive they are being and exactly what they're doing. But for these news outlets, stirring up conversation is a surefire way to get clicks and that's exactly what's happening. Mm. My ideal scenario would be for news outlets to be really put in a tough position here where editors at these news outlets are embarrassed about what's happened and they would be. The editors at these publications, maybe bar the Daily Mail, <laughs> uh, would be embarrassed that they've been caught up in this. It's embarrassing for a news outlet to be running stories so fake, so obviously fake as news. But it reminds me last week we were having a conversation in the context of Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively about how news outlets can deliberately be reductive with stories in many different ways. And in the way that we were talking about with Blake and Anna, it's just with image choice by using images to tell a story that may not be true. In this case, I feel like being deliberately reductive with a headline is just as misleading. Mm. Like it's almost lying by omission because the stuff you're not including is completely untruthful. Yeah, and the unfortunate state of the media in Australia is that fake news stories like this can be a virus across all publications because media publications are so underfunded, because writers have so little time to churn out stories. They basically just make replicas of other stories that are already on the web that day because websites are far more interested in having stories on their page and getting clicks than they are in those stories being factually robust. I did want to bring in another story that I saw in the Herald this week because I think this idea that all left-leaning people are waiting for a chance to be offended and PC has gone mad and the world is being ruined by snowflakes. I find that really, really interesting. The Herald Sun even tried to use Crayola, the crown company, releasing flesh-coloured crowns this week as an example of PC gone mad. So they wrote, colouring in has become a racially inclusive activity with the release of skin-coloured crowns, pencils and textures in up to 40 shades. Although the products are yet to go on sale in Australia, publicity from the US has prompted discussion, with some calling it political correctness on steroids. Another said, too many left marketing people in that organisation. The Crown's coloured pencils and colouring book are in stores now with the textures available in June. Like, I just find it so interesting that instead of going... Oh, how nice that children will be able to use crowns that are their skin colour because they now come in 40 shades instead of having to use a very pasty, very pale skin colour that would fit for your eyes, Zara. That this is now a bad thing. Like we don't want kids to be able to find crowns that fit their skin tone. And if we can find that... That's political correctness gone mad. Well, it's the picking up of random comments from people who aren't named, who we don't know, who we're giving some level of authority to to tell a story that is ridiculous for me. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of last week, the conversation around Bluey. I don't know if you guys saw this, but in case you did miss it, journalist Beverly Wang wrote a story for the ABC. And she wrote this story saying that she loved the show Bluey, which is an Australian sort of cartoon show about a dog for kids, is about as much as I'll go into detail about what the show is, but she wondered about the downfalls of it being created a little bit, I guess, from like a white middle-class lens. Like, yes, this is a cartoon about dogs, but they're people. Like yeah. we're, we're talking about characters here that are telling one type of story. Mm -hmm. And her point was, 
where are the dogs or where are the characters or the people with different stories? Like where are the other stories that we should be telling little kids? And the commentary around this article was pretty horrifying, I think. And it reminds me exactly why we actually can't have conversations in Australia about diversity and why we're so far behind so many other countries. Because we are so reductive and so rude and so snarky that people started calling it dogversity, that there were conversations that why can't we just leave the cartoon dog alone? And it's like, what would this conversation look like if we centred compassion in the centre of it and not white people? Like what would this conversation look like? And if news outlets weren't deliberately reductive with their headlines knowing exactly the kind of outrage that it's going to stir up? Because I was watching this from afar being like, yes, it's a cartoon dog, but this is exactly why we are making no progress with conversations about diversity because no one's mature enough to decenter themselves in it. Yeah, well, it's a conversation about a dog, but then anyone who watches Bluey knows that every episode has meaning and it's trying to communicate with children it's trying to educate children about everything from divorce to what school is like to ADHD in another episode. So if you're going to accept those things and go, yes, the shows our children watch educate them about the world, don't we want to educate them about a world that actually looks how the world looks? Yes. Like what's the actual problem here? This is where I get confused because it's like, okay, do you believe as a person, and this is to every listener and to you two, I guess, and myself, do you believe that entire groups of people go through life just looking for chances to be offended, looking for chances to victimise themselves. Because I don't believe that. I believe individual people can look for chances to be victimised. I believe individual people online or wherever can be annoying and can find anything offensive. Totally accept that. I mean, we post memes that every single day we have someone finding it offensive where (laughs) I'm baffled by it. But to believe this reality where entire groups of marginalised people are walking around looking for an opportunity to wave a flag and go, I'm offended says a lot about you in my mind. I think it says a lot about how comfortable you are in the current state of the world and anyone who wants to disrupt your comfort annoys you. Your experience of the world is not everyone's experience. What is wrong with an ABC journalist saying, hey guys, I'm an Asian woman, first of all. Could we maybe see some more ethnic diversity? Could we see bodies that are maybe disabled bodies? Could we see a queer couple on Bluey? Like, What about that is so offensive? And it's also the fact that she explained all of that in such a heartfelt, beautiful way. The piece itself was gorgeous. I read it yesterday. But the people online want to act as if she's shrill, as if she's screaming or she's angry or she's throwing insults or being irrational or being hysterical when she just gently, gently (laughs) asked, could we maybe see more diversity given kids are being raised on watching this program? Yeah. Could we be better? How does that hurt you? Yeah. And also the amount of racist hate that Beverly Wang got online in response to publishing this article is exactly why a more diverse version of this show would be beneficial for our children. You know, Mm. it was really disgusting. It was really disgusting and really, really disappointing. And I think news outlets, going back to what The Chaser have done, News outlets have been exposed here as being not particularly robust with their fact-checking. But for me, I think the focus is hugely on headlines and how reductive they can be and how much they can shape a story and public conversations, be it about fairy bread or be it about Bluey. Mm. And I think I hope out of all of this that the people that are looking at themselves are the editors writing these headlines and the journalists writing these stories. Yeah, the people commissioning these stories, what do you actually want out of it? And if you just want clicks, maybe ask yourself, is it worth it? Like, what are we actually doing to discourse? Well, it's very much, it's really easy to say, I'm not the problem. I'm just like a 
small player in this, but not to play Pollyanna here, but it's like we all have an individual role. All of these small articles contribute to a much bigger problem. And the more people that turn around and say, I don't want to be part of that, the better. And I think as well, the onus is on all of us that when a family, particularly when a family member who is older than you, when they bring this up with you, see a headline like this and go, oh, do you see the petition to get fairy bread cancelled? Try and do your research and actually have a constructive conversation with these people about it because I think a lot of white Australians are just waiting to have a conversation about the snowflake generation. And we're actually not a fucking snowflake generation. I push back on that so hard. If we actually try and come back to them, I think we'll kind of move the dial a little bit. And who are the people that are getting perpetually offended here? Because it very much feels like the people who are getting perpetually offended are the ones accusing everyone else of being offended. Yeah. Are you upset about fake fairy bread? Because I'm fine. I'm just living my life. This seems to say a lot about you, Dave. Hi, my dad's name is Dave. Hi, that he is lovely, by the way. That is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We cannot wait to be in your ears on Monday with our first episode of Scandal. We're calling it Scandal in the office. Scandal. Um, No, we are so excited. As we said, it's Lara and Brendan and we are so ready and raring to go. That will drop 5am Monday morning Australian Eastern Standard Time. So keep your ears and eyes peeled if that's even a thing. Exactly. If you want to take part in Your Safe Friday, we will be polling you guys on today's episode. Make sure you come and follow us. We are at Shameless Podcast on Instagram. Annabelle Lee, any comments? No. (laughs) I'm just going to say the same thing every week. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Bye, guys. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.